Welcome to the Divine Purpose Podcast, where we transport you along one of the more dynamic journeys of life. Have you ever been curious to know what it takes to become a successful leader? Or about knowing the secrets of life through the Bible? How about engaging in conversation where no topics are off limits? We will take you to new levels with guests who can help you grasp the importance of your calling. Now, here's your host, Eddie Dacius, founder of Dacius Facilities Management. Hey, everybody. This is Eddie Dacius, the host of Divine Purpose Podcast. We have a wonderful guest for you today. A great show. I'm very excited. I'm always excited to start this show. Every Wednesday, we're going to have a new episode. You can check us online at DP Podcast Live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And on our website, www.dppodcast.com. This episode is brought to you by Dasis Facilities Management. Dasis Facilities Management, they will manage your property with a variety of services, such as cleaning, maintenance, and vendor management. Um, we're going to introduce you our show. This is our 10th episode. We're excited to have Barry Bromstein. Barry Bromstein is an engineer and is a headshot photographer. So we have Barry Bromstein with us today. Hey, Mr. Bromstein, how are you today? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> thanks so, for having me. Thank you. Thank you for coming in. And sure. we really appreciate you being here with us today. So let's see. I've... Uh... <laughs> I've had a long career. I actually started uh, working when I was 13 years old and uh, worked in a hi-fi stereo store back then and uh, became a geek. So I love electronics. I love all sorts of things like that. So I decided to become an engineer. Uh, but during engineering school, I also decided that I didn't want to just do design. I really loved sales because I had actually done some selling part-time uh, to work my way through school and uh, when I was in high school as well. And so when I graduated with my engineering degree, I said, you know, I want to get into technical sales. And so I started working in the semiconductor industry. I worked for Texas Instruments and then a little company at the time called Intel. Um, and then uh, 40, 40 some odd years later, I had worked for large companies, small companies, startups um, <clears throat> in sales, sales management. I did some marketing. Um, and after 40 some odd years, I said, you know, I, I need a I need a change. I got a break. I got to do something different. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. You know, amazing. Right. Um, and so and, and I just didn't leave. I mean, I started thinking about this while I was working for a company and um, I really looked at what I love doing and I love photography. And I'd been shooting since I was in high school and mm. I had done. Yeah. You know, I always had a camera and I had a dark room for a while and I used to process color and uh, um, I even did some, you know, work, paid work. I mean, you know, I was on a magazine cover one time, um, Neshoba Valley magazine, I think, you know, circulation of maybe a hundred people. Um, and, uh, but anyway, so I love doing it. And I started doing some volunteer work at our high school here. Um, uh, one of our daughters was in, um, she was in the performing arts. And then, so she did plays and concerts and things. And so I started volunteering to shoot, you know, the the actors and actresses and the plays and everything. And parents loved the work and wanted to hire me to do their families and wow. headshots and everything. And it just kind of one thing led to another and everything sort of came to a head. And it was like, you know what, I just want to go off and do this. And so, um, you know, I, I started researching photography and a photography business and started talking with photographers and uh, understanding a little bit about the business and what what aspect of photography I wanted to focus on, which was headshot. Um, and the reason I did that is, is that I have a, a pretty extensive network in the business community uh, in high technology and biotech and places like that, <clears throat> as well as that's where my sales and marketing experience is. So I said, you know, why, I know how to, to work with businesses and large corporations, small businesses, et cetera. 
And so I said, you know, I'm going to I'm going to do headshot photography. Wow. That's that's excellent. That's yeah. good to hear, too. But we we like to go in a slow space. <laughs> I have a tendency I to think talk you see, you know, but I, That's good. You give me a lot of way to ask questions. So let's move backward a little bit on your sure. education where, OK, you you went to school to be an engineer. So what was the process? Do you, was it something you really enjoyed doing? Yeah. So, um, so I grew up in a I grew up in New York on Long Island. Um, my parents were uneducated and hadn't graduated even high school, and we were uh, we struggled growing up. I mean, I remember my mother um, actually stealing food from the supermarket so we could eat. Um, and you know, my father was adamant that I was going to get a college education and be successful and all of this other stuff. And um, they were pushing me to become a lawyer and an accountant. <laughs> and I was like, you know, that doesn't really that didn't really thrill me, you know. And and so I started developing this interest in in electronic. Okay. And uh, actually, I built a color TV set from a kit when I was 15 years old and just loved doing that. I mean, I did it in like three weeks, you know, just every day I'd get up and just solder and put all the wires together and everything. And the damn thing worked, you know, when I plugged it in, it was like, whoa, that was cool. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I just looked into it and talked with my guidance counselor at the time and decided that I was going to go be, get an engineering degree. Did you yeah. have any second thought on where you wanted to go? No, no. I was pretty adamant that, you know, once I made my mind up, I was like, no, the engineering sounds good. You know, it looked interesting. And this was in the days when chips, you know, semiconductors yep. and stuff, they were really starting to become uh, more mainstream. And, you know, there was it was the explosion of all of that stuff. And so I said, you know, I just it just fascinated me. Um, what, what did change, however, was that... Um, I realized that I didn't want to, um, while I was going to school, um, and I went to Worcester Polytech um, in Worcester, Mass, uh, as an engineering school. And I decided that, you know, I didn't want to be an engineer in terms of designing circuits all day long. You know, it just looked, I don't know, it looked kind of not as interesting as I wanted it to be. And I always had a fascination with business. Um, and I had worked, you know, as I said, I started working when I was 13 and I was 15. I actually got promoted and I was the only part-time salesperson in this hi-fi store on Long Island. It was a high-end hi-fi store. And I did very well there for, you know, a part-time high school kid who was doing this on the weekends and stuff. Yeah. You know, I, I remember my first sale, you know, I was, I was a stock boy first and we got busy in the store and my boss said, you know, can you talk to some, help some people here while the rest of us are doing what we're doing? And I said, sure. So I did. And the first customer I talked to, I sold them a stereo. Wow. <laughs> I remember going up to my boss saying, um, hi, hey, Neil. Um, okay. This guy wants to buy this. What do I do? <laughs> You know, and I, I just uh, I love doing it. And so when I thought about it, I was like, I want to marry my abilities and skills that I have and things that I liked about dealing with people and business and all of that stuff with technology. And that's when I decided to pursue, you know, I, in fact, I remember being in school and talking to my classmates and saying, you know, I want to get into technical sales. And they're like, what? Why are you doing that? You're going to get an engineering degree. I'm like, yeah, exactly. You know, and um, and and the financial aspects of it also were attractive because, you know, salespeople made, you know, good money. And, yep. and also, you know, the harder you worked and the more that you were able to leverage your skills and all of that stuff, the more you could make okay. because you were on, partly on commission and all of this other stuff. So, you know, to me, it just seemed like a natural kind of move. And uh, so I graduated, I got my degree. And uh, when I graduated, it was the height of the recession. But uh, so I wound up selling jeans in a jeans store for like four or five months while I was applying to all of these companies to get a job. And finally, uh, <laughs> I'll never forget on the same week, I got two job offers, one from General Electric and the other one from Texas Instruments. And uh, so first, First, I accepted the job with GE and then TI came along and they bumped up my pay by like 30%. And 
Um, and it just sounded a lot more interesting because it was semiconductors. And that was, like I said, the kind of the up and coming thing. So I jumped and I went to TI and I just picked, packed my bags. And at the time I was living with my parents down in Florida because they had moved down there because of my mother's health. And um, I just packed my bags and I figured out on a map where was Dallas. And I drove to Dallas. Well, you do. <laughs> you know, I drove. Yeah, I packed my. I had a little sports car, and I packed everything in the sports car, and it was hot as all dickens. I didn't have air conditioning in the car, and drove to Dallas. And when I got to Dallas, they said, oh, "We're going to send you down to Houston." So I didn't even bother unpacking the car. I just turned around and I found it on the map, and I went, "Okay, well, I'm going to go down to Houston." Wow. So I drove down to Houston and started working down there, and you know, found an apartment and. And I'd never really been away from home. So this was all first time for me other than going to college. But so, what was the adjustment in a new city? It was, um, it new was job. interesting. It was interesting. Um, Texas at the time was a bit different than living in New York. Okay. Um, they carried guns down there and rifles in their yeah. truck. And, yeah. you know, you'd get up in the morning and you'd hear about, a, a you know, cattle uh, truck had overturned on the freeway. That didn't happen in New York. Um, wow. <laughs> and so it was, it was different. Houston was kind of a, uh, it was an interesting place. Um, Dallas was, when I moved to Dallas, so, so I was in Houston for three months and then they moved me to Dallas. Um, Dallas was a lot more what I'll call cosmopolitan. You sort of more what I was used to. Um, and I liked Dallas. Houston was just kind of hot and muggy and it was kind of the wild west down there. Dallas was was a lot I like Dallas okay. a lot better yeah but you know I had always loved Boston and um, for some reason or other I just I wanted to move back to Boston and one thing led to another where I was working at TI and I wanted to get into the field uh, you know into the field offices and, 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 and I had developed a relationship with the people up here in Boston for TI and it turns out that a, a sales job opened up and I you know I heard about it and I called the manager and said, hey, I'd love to come up and work for you guys up there. And they knew me and they said, sure. So next thing I know, I was packing my car again <laughs> and um, driving up to Massachusetts. Massachusetts. And uh, that's where I've been since 1976. Wow. Since then. Yeah. But how was it for you combining sales and engineering? It was, you know, it was a lot of fun because... Um, particularly as I got later on in my career, because people have a stereotype of salespeople. Um, they do, you know, they do. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's it's not exactly the world's, you know, most beloved profession in terms of, you know, stature and how people believe you and all of this other stuff. And, um, but my approach was always very different. Um, number one, I wanted to be able to sleep at night, you know, having a clear conscience. And so I was always honest with people, you know, and just, uh, this is what I think. And this, here's the data. And this is, you know, I don't know was common. I, I don't know. Let me go find out for you. And, you know, just not trying to uh, lie to people just to get a sale. Um, okay. That was not, that's not me. You know, me is, you know, somebody who can, you can rely on to tell you the truth and tell you what I think and, um, and, and do the best I can for you. And so, um, so what was interesting is that when I go into an account and I started calling on it, you know, that a lot of the people who I was dealing with, you know, at first reaction was, you know, dealing, treat, treating me as a typical sales guy yeah. and not having a technical background. And okay. the fact that I had the technical background and that I wasn't a typical sales guy, I was able to develop um, more, I would say, deeper relationships and more respect for my clients because, you know, I, I kind of understood at least to some level what they were talking about. Even when I later on in my career, I um, was working for an engineering services company that designed products for people and they were mechanical engineers and my background was electrical engineering. But I knew enough about engineering and enough about mechanical engineering, yep. having been in and around it for so long, that I could still sit in meetings and add value. And, and you know, I'd ask questions about stuff I didn't understand. And I didn't say things that I didn't understand and make comments about things that I didn't know anything about. But then the stuff that I did come up with and I did know, you know, I would speak up. And um, I actually remember being in a meeting with a client and um, I looked at something and they were struggling with an idea and I just looked at it from a different perspective and yeah and I came up with something and they all kind of looked at me and they said 
well, that was pretty good for a sales guy, you know? <laughs> it's like, yeah. wow. and, and, you know, and we had developed a relationship at that point. So, um, you know, but it, those kind of things I love because, you know, it was, the, as you said earlier, it's the marriage of, you know, engineering and sales yeah. together and still adding value to the client, which is, you know, what I've always tried to do in my career. So was it your main motivation to, I know you, you say you started working part-time at a sales store, right? But yep. was it always your motivation to combine or did you get, did you have to down on your engineering education? You think that should be the way you'll be successful to combine both sales and engineering? You know, I wish I could say it was all thought out as as well as it, it, <laughs> it should be. Yeah. But it was more of, you know, um, I, I felt like engineering was a very limited kind of thing in terms of a profession for me anyway and um, with sales I had a lot more freedom and flexibility and you know getting out and meeting people and it's it was a different kind of pressure it was less of a technical pressure and more of a you know sales pressure but I felt very comfortable selling I always felt even as a as a teenager frankly I felt more comfortable talking with adults than I did with my peers and so um, um, you know, to me, it was just, it wasn't any real epiphany. It was just kind of something that evolved. Um, and I don't even know, remember even discussing with my parents. It was okay. just kind of like, you know, well, I want to get into technical sales. Wow. And, um, you know, uh, like I said, th these weren't, I, these weren't like long involved conversations or research or anything. It was just something that um, I think I had sort of absorbed over time. Um, but I don't even think I knew any technical salespeople when I was yeah. in college. Yeah, no, I think it was just one of these things that, yeah, let me just try this. Try this. And yeah. yeah. And, and um, it turned out to be, you know, a very successful move for yep. decision. Yeah. No, definitely. But I think that was a bold decision, especially because we had a guest, um, she said, what she's doing, she's a um, producer, but she said she never had anybody as a mentor. Yeah. But for yeah. you, or was it? So I think the first thing that I would say is for technical salespeople or just anything in sales, you have to be a good listener. Um, people, one of the, and I used to manage sales teams, and one of the things that my sales guy, a lot of sales guys used to do is what I used to call showing up and throwing up. They'd show up at a at a sales meeting and the first thing they wanted to do was pull out the slide deck and start talking about their product and how wonderful it is and speeds yep. and feeds and oh it can do this and it can do that and everything and they didn't never even knew what the customer's problem was that they were trying to solve so I learned actually as I think about it I learned it in the hi-fi store my first when I would go up to a person at the hi-fi store I first would ask them what kind of music do you like to listen to mm. you know and, and wow. what what kind what what do you, do you like more bass? Do you like more treble? Do you like more vocal, you know? And then in my mind, I would start pulling together different pieces of, you know, we had different speakers and different amplifiers and all of this other stuff. And certain sounds were more, um, sounded better with certain types of music. Certain equipment sounded better with other, different kinds of, you know, classical versus jazz or something. And, and so I learned early on that um, the key thing is to find out what, what is, what are you looking for? What's the problem you're trying to solve before I start saying, hey, I got the greatest things in sliced bread, you know? And, and I do that now even in photography. I mean, you know this. We, we, you know, the first time before anyone sets foot in my studio or if I go on location, we're going to have a phone conversation and we're going to talk about what the look is that you're going for, how you're going to use the images, what's your branding, what's your messaging, all of that stuff, right? Because before I start to think about in any sales situation, you know, what, you know, what's the right solution, you know, I need to know what the what the problem is and so in technical sales you know when i when i was working for intel we had a catalog of microprocessors and memory and all of this other stuff <clears throat> and so i you know what would i recommend i don't know let's sit down and talk about it you know and, and a lot of times the engineers there already knew what they wanted they had done the research but still in all i still want to know how they're using things and what challenges they have and what's their price point and how big a form factor is it and all of these things that you'd want to understand so that even if they had made a decision as to what they were going to use, you might still be able to even recommend something else that yep. they hadn't thought about or not known. So, um, 
one of the one of the key things is really listening and asking the right questions. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's absolutely critical. Um, and, and I like to, contrary to what's going on here, I like to in a sales call, I would not talk that much. I'd ask more questions. And the more questions that you ask and you and you listen to the response, and then you may ask a follow-on question, that shows that you're listening. Yep. It shows okay. that you care, <laughs> that you're really interested in what the person has to say. And, you know, when you're talking with somebody and they ask you questions about you or what it is that you're talking about or whatever it is, you just want to talk more. Oh, definitely. Right. And so, you know, the marriage of technical and, and sales, it's, it's a lot about selling skills. The other thing, though, when you're in a technical environment is that I, I was comfortable going if, if we start up here, which is very high level versus going down here into the technical details. I knew where my limit was and I would be very upfront with my customers to go down to that place. And then if they start digging deeper to the technology where I didn't feel comfortable, I'd say, Hey, you know, I'm not sure I'm not the right guy for that, but let me get you get the right person who can answer that question for you. Right. Um, And I would bring those resources into the the sales situation. So, you know, that's kind of how I married the two. Um, And to this day, you know, I'm still a geek and I still love technology. And um, even when I'm uh, mentoring people in photography or whatever, you know, I I will marry some of the technical with other things just to explain stuff to people. Uh, thank you for sharing and, and I appreciate what you're telling us now. But my, my other question is, what was, because you just mentioned your parents' education was not the same as you are now yep. in motivation. Was was it from them or was it you wanted to do better? I think it was both. Okay. It was definitely both. You know, I, I was clear, I, I, I think it was clear seeing my parents struggle okay. <clears throat> And knowing what we went through and stuff that um, I was not going to do the same thing. Um, and so I was pretty clear I was going to get a college education and I was going to be um, successful. Um, and of course, my parents um, wanted me to be successful. My father was adamant. In fact, I, I remember after graduating high school, I, I floated the idea of taking a year off in between high school and college, even after I had gotten accepted. And um, he, he had a nutty. <laughs> Oh. You know, he, he was like, no, nah, you're, you're not doing no. that. You're going straight, straight, <laughs> yeah, you're going straight to college. And frankly, I, you know, I had it was one of those things I hadn't really thought about. And, you know, what would I do for a year? And, you know, I didn't have any money to travel the world or whatever. So, you know, it, his his um, having a nutty was a good idea. Um, but um, no, it was it was a combination of things. I, I definitely wanted to go to college uh, and, and get an education. And I think it's, you know, it's it, it's obviously not for everybody. But I do think um, it, it helps you think. And that was the one thing that I, I that I came away from engineering school to this day is that um, an engineering education, uh, in my mind, helps you think and organize things and take a look at a problem and dissect it and then figure out the pieces, how they fit together and then come up with a solution, you know, that solves a lot of things. And it's just it's a it's a mindset more than anything else. Um, and I'm very appreciative of that. So one thing we like to, to ask and because all our guests, this is a common answer where they said college was a, a way like a new adventure where they learn about themselves. So how was the transition for you? Uh, that's interesting. So I was a um, I was an only child. I led, led a fairly sheltered life. Um, you know, my parents really let me out of their sight. Um, and so going to college to me was finally, you know, like breaking free, if you will. Freedom. 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 Yeah. You know, party and drinking yeah. and, you know, all of that other stuff. And so I did a lot of the things that most people do or a lot of people do in college, yep. you know, breaking all of the rules and stuff. And what was interesting is, uh, and I wasn't a party animal, but I definitely explored things and did things that, you know, you do in college. And um, my junior year, I'll never forget this. I remember, um, you know, was 
at a party and doing some of this stuff and everything. And I, I, I had this epiphany where I just said, you know, the problem with doing all of this is that at some point you got to come down and you got to face reality. Yep. And I stopped. Wow. <laughs> I, I just gave up, uh, you know, I'd have an occasional beer and everything, but I gave up any of the other stuff. And um, I just realized that, you know, there's more to life than just doing all of that. Yep. And um, definitely, you know, so Did I started trigger this or just your thinking? I remember looking at myself in the mirror in a bathroom. Okay. <laughs> Literally, like, you know, what the hell are you doing? Wow. Um, and, and I'd been thinking, I played like some sports and I noticed like I was playing intramural softball and my timing was off and my brain was not as sharp as it was. And it was just a bunch of things where I just said, you know what, I got to stop this crap. Um, but, you know, you go through various phases in your life. There was that phase and then I went to work and um, I, I, I had to have another epiphany at some point of taking work a little bit more seriously than I did. Um, and I see this now in our, my kids or my kid, our, our oldest who's working. You know, there's you reach different levels at different points in your career and then as you mature and grow that you realize that there's you know this isn't it's it's everything isn't just a game you know there there really are consequences for things and you really got to think about what you're doing and, and why you're doing it and how things appear you know um and how people how you're perceived and things like that so um you know you go through a number of phases and hell i'm still learning you know i'm still growing and realizing stuff that i've done that I would do differently going forward. And I think that's critical for anyone who's growing, you know, wanting to succeed in life or, you know, in any venture, even as a parent, good Lord, you know, I learn as a parent every day still. <laughs> Definitely. So we, we're just going to jump to you 40 plus years in technical sales and now you have to retire. <laughs> Why was the process? <laughs> Take me there, man, because I think that's a very interesting adventure for you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. When I was younger, I always said that I'd never retire and I always wanted to work. <clears throat> and then as I was um, getting on in my 40 plus year career, I realized that, well, I don't know about that, but I don't want to be doing this all for any for the rest of my life, you know? And so um, it, it, there was... There was a moment, which I won't get into too much detail, but while I was working for the company that I was working for, the CEO and I had a, a different viewpoint on things. Okay. And um, that was kind of the trigger where I just said, you know what? This is, it's time. It's time. Yeah. It's time. And so I offered to consult for him and I actually wound up consulting for the company for about a year and a half um, and, and did some consulting work at, while I was also pursuing my photography business. Okay. And at some and, and so I did that for about a year, doing year, year and a half, did both of them together. And then I realized that in order to grow my own business, photography, um, I couldn't do it part-time. Part-time, okay. Yeah. I had, it, growing your own business, by the way, this is probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. Uh, even with all of my experience in business and negotiation and uh, marketing and yada, 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 it's different when it's somebody else's business. <laughs> You know, this is my business. And so it's my baby. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and I have no delusions of grandeur in that this thing has to be hugely successful or any of that other stuff. But I do want it to be successful and I do okay. want to grow it. So, um, but I've realized that it's, um, A, it's, a, it's different. It's a little bit different in terms of marketing and things like that. A lot of what I've learned over the years from experience is translatable and has translated very well, but it's still very, very hard. You know, I'm, you know, who the hell is Barry Bronstein photography, you know, <laughs> and how do you, you know, where do you start and yeah. how do you grow branding. it? And, um, yeah. Branding, messaging, website, uh, um, oh, who's my client? Oh, yeah, no. it's all of this stuff. And then building up a portfolio of work yeah. so that people could see it. And then, your work. Yep, your trail. you know, yep. all of the stuff. And then so now I've got it to a point where, you know, I've got a, obviously got a website. I'm, I've got business. I've got corporate clients. I've got individual clients. But it's taken a couple of years. 
you know, it's taken a, a couple of years to get there, and it's um, I'm at it every day. I'm up I'm up at five o'clock in the morning. I work out from five thirty wow. to six thirty, and I'm at my desk between seven thirty eight o'clock in the morning, and I'm doing this all day long. And most of it is not shooting. Most of it is trying to grow the business. So you you technically didn't stop working or retired, quote unquote. You no, you were progressively working, and it's like you switch priority where your full time became your part time became your full time, and then you quit the other job, right? Yeah, and then also the other thing though is is that the pressures are different. Yep. You know this business. Um, you know I'm not. I, I didn't create this to feed the family kind of okay. thing, right? Um, fortunately, yeah, because it's a hard business to grow. There's a, there's more starving photographers out there, and I knew this all along, but there's more starving photographers out there that, that are than successful photographers. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I think that's true for a lot of businesses. You know, anyone starting their business, I, and I've done some consult business consulting for folks, um, when you start your own business, you know, it's very exciting and, and it's great to be your own boss <laughs> and all of this other stuff. But man, don't... reality gonna eat. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Don't, don't right, drink don't drink your own Kool-Aid. Oh, okay. Right. You, if if you're not planning for failure after failure after failure until you start seeing success, and that it's gonna cost you more money and it's gonna take you more time time than you think it should or that you plan on, that's when you truly can fail. It's when you plan that it's going to take longer. You don't work so it's going to take longer. You work so that you, it, but you got to plan ahead and make sure that you've got the financial wherewithal and everything else so that you're not putting yourself and your family in financial difficulty yes. while you're trying to grow this thing because it's hard. It's, it's hard. You're right. You're right. It's but incredibly hard. I'm not, I'm not going to leave you off the hook. We're going to go deeper, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> Give us some okay. more because that's why we this platform is to help people understand the reality of it. Sure. Yes, it's nice to have your own business, but understand what it takes to get there. It, it's 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 gonna take much more time and effort depending on what your business is of course but it's gonna take more time effort and money than you think yes um, and a lot of it has to do with being known becoming known you know um, <clears throat> unless you've come up with an idea that's you know gonna you know, you come up with a, an idea that's going to make money instantly or, you know, everybody really wants. Yeah. You know, you've got to do so many things to test markets. You've got to go talk to people. You've got to build a network. You've got to get those first clients. You've, you know, it's, it's, um, everything takes longer and is harder than you think. And you also got to realize that don't get, um, don't get um, uh, enamored through some initial success. Okay. At least for me, that I said the business goes up and down. It's lumpy. Yep. You know, it, uh, services businesses, I'm sure you know, right? Until you're in it for a number of years and yes. stuff, yeah. it's real lumpy. And photography in particular is, it's not like if you're a cleaning service, right? Where you have a client and you're there every month to you clean know. their offices or whatever, right? I do my job. I do a great job. I'm done. Yeah. So now I got to go find the next client. The next right? project. Exactly. And so that's what makes businesses like photography so difficult is that you don't have this kind of ongoing business that, you know, clients are coming to you every month or every couple of weeks or whatever it is. You're always trying to find the next client and everything. And ideally you get corporate clients that, and I have some of these where, you know, you're, you're their preferred photographer and as they're hiring new people, they send them to you. And so that starts to generate this base level of business but in any business that you're trying to grow that's what you want to get you want to get a base level of business that you can survive on and you have to manage your expenses and spend so that you can survive on this and then the stuff that comes in over that is you know quote unquote gravy and play money and allows you to invest further or whatever it is but you got to make sure that your business can support you in terms of what you need and and build that base level of business. 
and that's that's also hard. It takes time because you're you know you're you're going into whatever it is the business is. Nobody knows you. Yeah. Yep. And, and getting people to be a, a just generating awareness is one of the key things. So you know I've joined half a dozen networking groups. Um, I've. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn every day. I'm, um, you know, I'm going to meetings. I'm just networking with people. I'm reaching out to people. You know, I've got a multi-level marketing approach where just trying to get the word out, you know, in addition to the website, just building a website in and of itself. If that's your, yeah, that's not your, that's not a marketing strategy. That's a piece of marketing that you need. But that's not a marketing strategy. You've got to do a whole bunch of other things on a consistent basis and adjust and all of this other stuff so that you can get yourself known. So what do you think networking is so important to go any business? <clears throat> Because people, a number of things. Number one, people always want to help people. I mean, for the most part, people like to help people. I know I do. Um, and... Um, People can open up doors for you. And when you're trying to grow your business and meet new clients, cold calling is probably one of the least effective methods for growing sales and growing your business. Um, because people like to do business with people who they know, they've they know. met, they trust, or yep. whatever, right? And so, you know, hi, I'm Barry Bronstein, headshot photographer. Here's my website. You know, it looks great, right? Okay. But there's, you know, five other headshot photographers who are also very good. Um, but if the person who I'm trying to close or the company knows somebody who's been a client of mine and they can, you know, they can check up on me, if you will, be a reference or whatever, yep. that gives me instant credibility. Credibility, yes. Right. And I even did this before I started my business. Um, there was a job, um, it was a startup company that I had when I was looking for to change jobs a number of years ago. I found this startup that looked like they were doing something really cool. And so I looked on their website, saw who their management team was, and they had an opening for somebody in my position that I was looking for. And so rather than just sending a resume in over the transom, I went in and see, saw who was on the exec team. And I went into LinkedIn to see who I might know or who I'm connected to that might know someone. <clears throat> and I also looked at who was on their board and everything. Well, it turns out um, I had been, I was somehow connected to one of the venture capitalists who was sitting on their board. And so I reached out to him and sent him my resume. My resume went to the top of the pile and I got the job. Wow. And, and I even did a similar thing when I was um, working for this engineering firm, which was my last job in corporate America before I left. Okay. Um, I was trying to sell into Keurig, the coffee maker folks, yep, yep. to sell engineering services. And so, you know, I researched them on LinkedIn and found out that we were a good match for them for a whole bunch of reasons and stuff. But I didn't know anyone there, you know. And so just calling up and saying, hi, we're Acorn Product Development and we do engineering services you know that's not gonna work yeah so i went into linkedin and i networked and i found out who some of the people key people were in their engineering organization that i wanted to connect with or reach out to and i found out how i was connected to those people and it turns out i had some very good connections through people who i know yep. into Keurig. so i reached out to those connections and they gave me a referral my first meeting at Keurig was with seven vice presidents okay and and i went from zero into a multi-million dollar account in less than a year. Wow. But the only reason I was able to do that was because of networking. Networking. Well, not the only reason, but the primary yeah, yeah. the primary thing that was the, the catalyst for that was the networking and, you know, using my network to get an introduction to somebody who has in a position who would be interested in what it is that I had to offer and was in a decision-making capability. Yeah, definitely. So networking is, I, I by far get more business out of networking and referrals than I do from any other any other thing. So one thing uh, like I said this is a great great conversation we're having and definitely I think people are going to learn more but my my question is what was your confidence level on your second career first job <laughs> first big job <laughs> you're not a sell you know, you're not uh, selling anymore you you just doing yeah. a job yeah so 
I started out shooting friends and then close, you know, people who I knew and I didn't charge money for it. And then I started charging for it and people love the work. Uh, but my first corporate job uh, where I had, you know, I was shooting like on location and stuff. Um, I was fairly nervous um, and I made some mistakes. Um, like, you know, for example, when you shoot a headshot, um, you want to leave a little bit of room above somebody's head when you shoot. And then you want to crop it later on because it looks better if it's cropped. But you want to leave the room above the head versus, you know, getting the lens closer because some people don't like their head being chopped being, off. Yeah. Well, I had learned because I had studied when I was, by the way, when I was, I had decided to become a headshot photographer. I found out who the best headshot photographer was in the world. And I kind of already knew that because I had already been doing some studying, watching some videos and taking some courses and stuff. Um, and um, this guy named Peter Hurley out of New York City and Peter, his trademark was chopping off people's heads. So I had kind of adopted that style and I did my first corporate shoot on location. And the second person I think it was that I was shooting, you know, he, after the shoot, after we were all done and stuff, and I post the images on a website, he said, gee, I really like these, but you know, can you not chop off the top of my head? And I said, uh, no, because that's how I shot it. And he was pretty adamant, he wasn't happy. And, um, you know, eventually he still wound up using the images and everything, but I learned a very big lesson from that, which is never crop in camera. Okay. So um, my next shoot, um, I didn't do that. That was actually, the next shoot was actually larger. That was 40 people um, on location. Um, and it actually went very well. Uh, people love the images and everything. And um, so I was a lot more comfortable and didn't make as many mistakes as I did the first time. But I also had never shot that many people in a day before. So I didn't really know like, okay, should I allow 10 minutes per person, 15 minutes per person? Okay. How soon could I, you know? And I kind of did it as I, you know, you make it up as you go along. Um, and I, again, I was successful in doing it and everything. And now, you know, if I look at my process today versus back then, it's evolved, you know, leaps and bounds. Even my work looks different today than it did back then. Um, but they were happy with it back then and they're thrilled with it now. So, you know, you, you have to continue to evolve and, and grow your skills and what you do. And I'm always learning. I'm always looking okay. at other photographers' work and, you know, saying, oh, that looks cool. That's a good idea. I'm going to try that next time. And how did you do that? You know, and, and looking at the lighting and posing and all of that other stuff. You know, I'm, I'm always learning. And, and part of my routine every day is to look at somebody else's work. Okay. Um, so I'm always looking at somebody else's work. Uh, thank you for sharing. But um, how did you figure it out uh, to charge your client? Because that's something when you go on your own business, you need yep. to do it. Yep. That's you. That's on you. That's your homework. So yep. can, you, can you take us there? Sure. <clears throat> so um, and I do this some of this to this day. So first of all, you need to understand who your competition is and what they're charging. <laughs> um, and then you need to be honest with yourself and figure out where are you in the evolution of your business? Are you well-known, in demand, the phone is ringing off the hook? That's gonna be one price, and that price is probably gonna be higher. If the phone isn't ringing, you don't have any clients, your work isn't necessarily even as good as some of the best out there, you know, charging a lot of money is probably not gonna necessarily be the way to get business. Okay. So, and, and by the way, you'll hear different stories from different people and different even photographers or whatever about pricing. Um, but the way I price it, the way I start out my pricing and my pricing has gone up over time um, because as I've improved my skills and improved my value, um, I'm going to charge for that. Okay. I'm still not the most expensive. Um, I would say I'm, you know, quality wise, I think people would have a tough time if they took a look at the five or four head, top headshot photographers in Boston, I think you'd have but be hard pressed to see the difference. And most of us are frankly priced around the same at the higher level. Um, then there's a whole raft of other photographers whose work, you know, they call themselves, they are professional photographers because they have a business. But, you know, to the trained eye, you can see things in their work that isn't as good as, you know, those of us who are, you know, charging more or whatever it is. Because there 
is a difference. Um, and so for that difference, I'm going to charge. But I'm always keeping an eye on what my co- my competition that I consider to be is, you know, it, it, at the same level as I am. You know, I'm always keeping an eye on where they're at price-wise and just be in the same ballpark. And we're all, like I said, we're all, except for one guy who's off in the weeds someplace, He's, he charges way too much. Um, okay. uh, but we're all pretty much in the same ballpark for people who shoot with the level of quality for headshots um, that that I do and, and, you know, some of my colleagues do. Oh, well said, well said. So we, we have a section called Hot Topic. Hot Topic is where we ask questions. People don't have a chance to, to really, really ask. So in terms of you being an engineer, uh, a salesman, and now a headshot photographer. So why did you choose to go along with this? Well, I know you said in high school, that's what you always did. But why making it as your primary business? So when I was a kid, I used to look at Life Magazine all the time. It was Life Magazine was, it's no longer around, I don't think. But um, it was a magazine that came out once a week. And they just had wonderful images. It was like National Geographic today. You know, the images are just breathtaking. And I always just love looking at the pictures. And I always, um, you know, images and um, that kind of thing always just fascinated me. And I love taking pictures since I was a kid, like I said. And so, you know, and I'd always sort of kept an eye on photographers and got more and more into it. And, you know, somewhere in the back of my mind probably thought, you know, that um, not necessarily a career in it for my entire career, but at some point I wanted to pursue it more seriously. And so it was one of those things that just kind of evolved, I think, over time. Um, I love, and shooting people is interesting because that's been a newer twist for me. I used to shoot mostly um, birds and landscapes and stuff like that. Yeah, and people have become more and more of a subject matter for me. And I have to say, I'm I'm enjoying it a whole lot more because um, to me, there's nothing more satisfying than a client coming to me who's never liked the way they looked in pictures, hates having their headshot taken, um, and then at the end of the session have this big smile on their face, feeling better about themselves because they actually like the way they right yeah. like the way they look, and and thanking me and saying it was a lot of fun, you yeah. know. And right. I, I, I get a kick out of it, you know. Obviously, I, I love the the revenue and stuff, but I get a kick out of it because I feel like I did some good, you know. I helped that person, and you know, I also have an attitude about people's and they look. Everybody's so self conscious about the way we look, you know, and it's crazy. I think everybody's, you know, everybody's attractive in their own way. You know, I, I think I'm handsomer than Brad Pitt. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, but no, but, but seriously, you know, people are so self-conscious yeah. about stuff like that. And, you know, if I can help them feel differently about themselves and the way they look and realize that maybe some of the stuff that's going on in their head about the way they look is kind of overdone and everything and, and they love their shot and they had fun, you know, and, and by the way, the next time somebody takes a picture of them, they'll know a little bit better how to pose because I teach that during my sessions. Um, it's a real win. It's great. No, no, definitely. So now, like I said, so uh, with technology now and people might think photography is easier. Do you think skills still matter? Oh, absolutely. Because anybody can take a picture. You know, we have, you, you know, you have this. You can take a picture with this. Yeah. Um, and some of them take really good pictures with that. It's not about the gear. I mean, let me preface that. You need to have quality gear. Yes. Right. I mean, if you're okay. going to be serious about it and you want to have a decent picture, you need to have decent gear. Um, but having said that, it's not about the gear. It's about light and it's about in headshots. It's about expression and helping people to feel comfortable in front of a camera. And you can't do that with a selfie. You know, I, I've seen people try, you know, they try and have selfies or they give the phone to their friend and they take a picture and it's in a parking lot or even if it's against a white wall and everything. The difference is just kind of crazy. And, and even even if you go to a quote unquote professional photographer, um, I, if we could do a screen share, I could show you an example. But um, my wife 
um, works in biotech and she started a new job at a startup a couple of years ago. And they told her that, you know, they were having a headshot photographer to come in to take pictures of the staff and all of this other stuff. And she said, well, my husband's a headshot. Well, he's coming in anyway. And they'd already scheduled it and stuff. So she went and had her headshot done. And during the day, when she was having it done, I get an email from her with an attached file and said, can you fix this? And I took one look at it and said, uh, no, but if you come home, I'll set up the studio and, you know, we can shoot it here. I, I mean, this was shot by a professional photographer here yeah. in Boston someplace. Her her skin was blown out. Um, she had her, her neck, the camera position and the lighting and everything. She had this huge gaping hole that appeared in her neck. <laughs> Her head was in the wrong position. Wow. Um, it was just, it was terrible. I, you know, I looked at that and said, I've seen selfies better than that. <laughs> and it turns out the rest of the staff wasn't happy with it either. And wow. I wound up shooting them later on. But so she came home and I took her picture and, you know, she submitted that. And then everybody wanted to have theirs looking like hers and all this other stuff. But the point is, is that it, it's not, it's not so much about the gear. I'm sure he had a good camera and he probably had professional lighting. He just didn't know what the hell to do with it. Wow. And so wow. you need to, you need to know how to use the equipment or use the best equipment that you have. You know, people say, the photographers often say, what's the best camera? It's the one you have with you. <laughs> you know, if you see a scene, yeah, you're right, you know, right. and you haven't got your pro gear with you, you got to use what you have. So then it's a question of lighting and composition and posing. And all of that is skills. Skills. No. It's learnable. No, it's thank skills. you. No, thank you for sharing that. That's that good insight. So um, this is Barry Bramstein. He is our guest today on our 10 episode DP Podcast Live. You can check us like uh, on YouTube, Facebook. Um, Barry, you want to talk about your your new business now? Not new business, but your second career. Sure. Uh, Barry, so go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, oh, great. You got my, my, head, my work up there. So my web website. So uh, this these are examples of my work. By the way, these are all... Uh, business people. There's not an actor. I don't believe. No, there's no actors in this particular um, uh, view. Um, I do headshots and portraits, both in studio and on location. Uh, you can see there's a level of consistency and lighting and each and, and expression in that these people are engaging. When you look at these people and you see their headshots, you want to meet them. And so that's what I help people do is that I help people feel comfortable in front of a camera, look their, their best in front of a camera, and I deliver consistent results, whether you're an individual or a business. And I can also do, I also do portraits. Um, I don't have those up on my website yet, but because um, I primarily focus on business headshots. Um, and, um, you know, if you hate having your picture taken or you haven't updated your LinkedIn profile in a while or you're updating your website, uh, which is a good thing to be doing these days because websites are becoming more and more critical. Um, update your headshot. You should do it every couple of years. Um, and I'd be happy to work with you and um, provide you with the best headshots that you've ever had. So will, will our followers get a discount? If they see this episode, I have to, I have to, I have to try to get some. Uh, uh, everybody would you, would wants. You get, would you get them like a promo code? We can post it on the. Yeah, we talk about it. But at the end of the we'll day, we'll talk about it. We'll, so we'll I, do, use, we'll I, do, use, I use. We'll do very, something. We'll yeah, do you, something. We'll yeah, do I know. Something. Definitely, you you do a good job. Definitely. So last word Thank for you, you Barry. Um. Wow, last words. Um, find your passion um, and drive a truck through it, uh, but also make sure that you're realistic about it uh, because you do still need to feed your family and survive and all of this other stuff. And, um, you know, definitely follow your dreams and everything, no matter when they are. And don't lose sight of them because you never know when in your life you'll be able to be in a position to be able to, uh, to pursue them. Um, and don't be afraid to take risks and don't be afraid to change careers either. 
Uh, I've met a lot of people who have, they get their degree in one thing and then they wind up doing something totally different and they're thrilled about it. So um, don't be afraid to do that, but go into things with eyes open. Thank you. Thank you. This is our 10th episode with Barry Brownstein. He's a headshot photographer. Um, you can check him online at barrybrownsteinphotography.com. Um, this is our 10th uh, 10 episode with DP Podcast Live, Eddie Dacius. Every Wednesday, we got a new episode come, going on on YouTube, Facebook, and on our website, dppodcast.com. Thank you for being with us. Have a good day.